We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace on IndieSportsLegends.com. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and on today's episode, I'm going to be joined by the one and only Michael Grady to talk about Victor Oladipo and the coaching search. So, MG, as we get into things, I saw a tweet that you put out here talking about the Pacers should basically rebuild and, and, and not necessarily just try to patch that hole. So, I want to hear a little bit more about that tweet that you put out, and I want you to explain what you mean and what the Pacers should do going forward. Well, well, first off, it has to be a conversation between Pritch, Pritch and Oladipo. And if Oladipo truly doesn't want to be here, then you have to help him get out of town. Um, you know, I, I don't think of, I can't think of any fan base that would, you know, tolerate a guy who openly says he doesn't want to be in a situation or be in a place. And then you have you have the job of trying to convince him to stay. Please stay. Please don't leave. Um, that's not how you want to have your organization flow so if he says he wants out then you help him get out you don't try to convince him to stay or say hey can we do this that or the other you do that in milwaukee if you're talking about Giannis and Dedekumbo, but mm-hmm. you don't do that and, and even Giannis hasn't said that he wants to leave or go anywhere he just wants to win a championship and he wants the type of people around him to help him win with victor ladipo it's just kind of a you know from from the reports you know i think it's time to move on the thing that is that I am tr- trying to um, be vocal about in conversations, though, is, and we may never get this. You know, it took years before we found out why Paul George was frustrated and wanted to leave Indiana abruptly after saying at that celebrity softball game that he wanted to bring a championship to Indiana. Mm-hmm. It took a few years for that to come out. And that was, well, look, I, I wanted to bring, you know, there was a certain talented power forward, Anthony Davis, who wanted to come to uh, Indiana. And I was basically told by management that they could not get it done. Now, that roster wasn't great around Paul, and it would have been incredibly difficult to get him to uh, Anthony Davis to Indiana. 
Um, but from Paul's standpoint, they just didn't want to spend the money. Mm-hmm. So that's it took years to get that information. Why is it that Victor Oladipo, if the reports are true, saying that he wants out? Is it a similar frustration? Is it something completely different? You know, I share in anybody's frustration in terms of wanting clarity and may not be, be, be able to get it. And, you know, the fan base has been, you know, faithful for a very long time. And I've talked about how impressive it's been that the organization has been able to continue to stay relevant and compete at a high level without going through a complete rebuild, um, finding gems uh, in the draft without having a lottery pick. However, one thing is abundantly clear, and it's been clear for a long time, that if you want to win championships, you need to have stars. Um, you need to at least have, you know, you need to have stars and difference makers. And it's very difficult to get that in a small market um, and bring those through free agency. And mm-hmm. so the way to do it is through the draft. And so if Victor says he wants out and Victor is, has looked nowhere near 100% last time we saw him, and you're not going to get really great value for him because of the question marks about his health and what is his feeling you know, once he says that he is full strength, because of all those question marks, you're not going to get great value. Peak Paul George got you Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis, who we didn't know would develop into all-stars. We knew there was talent there, but we didn't know at the time. That's why there was so much criticism is, wait a minute, this is what you get for Paul? This is what you get? So if that's what you got for Paul, never mind the fact that it worked out and they became all-stars, but if that's what you got for Paul, then what are you realistically going to get for Victor Oladipo. Now, if you pair Victor with the Miles, then then you test the market and see what you can get in return. But if you're not going to get great value in return, then we're talking about the same kind of thing for Indiana. You know, pretty good, you know, but not necessarily competing for an Eastern Conference Conference title. So that's where the frustration uh, comes in, at least from a fan standpoint. And that's really what I was speaking to, that if they're really going to make a difference, you know, you, you, if you're really going to make a difference, you may have to get bad to get really good. Yeah. Well, and I think it's kind of funny because when I look at the Pacers organization and how they've gone about their business, they've never tanked. And they they we suffered through many years of watching Troy Murphy, Mike Dunleavy, and, you know, Rosho Nesterovich out on the court. You know, it was it was some bad yeah, Pacers teams. Was- yeah, and that was for that was for that was for a different reason. That was they were they were scared of the um, the the hip hop image, if you will, or mm-hmm. the finger quote thug image from the era, era that preceded it. So, okay, wow, we got Stephen Jackson. Oh my God, we got Jamal Tinsley, uh, Ron Artest. Oh my goodness, let's bring in the most clean image guys that we can bring to Indiana and you get Troy Murphy and Mike Dunleavy. Was that equal value for the guys that you traded? No, but from an image standpoint, it, it did the job. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I get that. thank goodness that Danny Granger came in and, and helped bridge that gap and then led to the Paul George era, which was a lot of, which was a lot of fun. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was certainly a lot of fun, but it was more the same because you still ended up losing to franchises or specifically Miami in that case. Uh, that had the multiple stars, and it's just it's just hard to compete. 
Yeah, so, well, let me let me ask you this, then, because, I mean, I think you definitely have said you do think they need to rebuild. So, question one is, A, do you think the Pacers will rebuild? And two, whether they do or not, what kind of rebuild would you like to see them see them do? Like, is that trading, you know, Brogdon and Sabonis, or is it, or is it just trying to trade some of the other pieces to – you know, get younger. I'm just, I'm just curious how you would approach this rebuild if you were the one calling the shots. Yeah, look, I, I, you have to, you can't get rid of, you know, everybody to begin to begin the rebuild. But the fact that I'm saying it versus what they may end up doing it, doing like in my opinion, this should happen. But given history, which you know I'm well aware of, it's just something that they haven't done. It's something that they won't do. And at what, at what point will you know people speak up and say? Kind of, you know, kind of tired of you know going through this, going through this same cycle. Like we get it, this is what you do. But man, it would be nice if if um, we were willing to have deeper, you know, pockets. And um, look, it's not my money, but still, at the same time, if if the goal is to win a championship, then what do you do need to do to win a championship? Yeah. You know, so these players are all sacrificing and doing what they need to do to elevate their elevate their play add different pieces to their game, going out there, competing, putting it all on the line from a competitive standpoint to gain an edge on the opposition so that they can put their team in the best position to succeed. Yeah. And management will... in terms of management in terms of, you know, Pritch and working with his budget mm-hmm. is doing everything within his his power and the parameters that he's allowed to operate in to put the best pieces out there for the team to put them in the best position to succeed. And so from ownership are they doing the same thing? Is ownership doing the exact same thing? They've done so much. They've been tremendous to the community. You know, we could have lost the Pacers a long time ago. And that's not to begrudge or, or dismiss any of that. I'm talking strictly, though, for, for, for the sacrifice if the goal is to win a championship as opposed to, no, nah, I'm cool with, I'm cool with where we're at. And so I just want it to be known from a player standpoint and guys who have moved on has their frustration with Indiana been the fact that they won't spend the money to bring in the proper pieces to compete for a championship? And if that's the case, if that's the case, then a rebuild, in my opinion, is necessary, even though that that's something that they're reluctant to do. So if it's a rebuild, look, you bring in a, a coach, there was never going to be a coach that was going to get you over the hump with this roster. Mm-hmm. So when I say get a, get a young up-and-coming coach or a bright-minded coach or a you know, someone along those lines, even if it's a Kenny Atkinson, who is an amazing player development coach, amazing with young guys, um, uh, uh, is terrific when it comes to connecting with his guys and caring about his guys. And I think he has a very effective offensive strategy, right? Right. So if you're moving in a direction of a rebuild, let's just say somebody like Kenny Atkinson or an up-and-coming, you know, assistant who has a bright, bright offensive mind, and player development being extremely important, that's the type of guy that I would bring in because, you know, it's been a while since we've talked about somebody that is developed in a way that it's like, whoa, you know, T.J. Warren put that work in himself, you know, during the quarantine, and we always known that he was a guy that can get buckets, and then he just went otherworldly uh, during those during those seeding games. But I would, you know, if Miles is saying the same thing he wants to go, well, that makes it easy, you know, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner. You know, see if you can see if you can get younger with Brogdon. 
he may not want to be in this situation. You may not make that move right away, but you see how he does with younger guys in a different looking roster. You know, at his peak, he is, a, is an efficient three point shooter. Um, I, I love Sabonis, and Sabonis is my mom's favorite player. So I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I, I'd, I'd love for him to stick, love for him to stick <laughs> around. But to have some uh, some three point shooters on the roster, um, I think we're I think we're seeing in this postseason um, that if you if you are an effective three point shooting team, and we've seen it for a while now, mm. and you can't just go crazy like the Houston Rockets, but to have a Duncan Robinson on your roster, a Tyler Hero, and other guys on the Miami Heat. Who you have to worry about is effective three-point shooters, paired with a Bam Adebayo who gets easy twos, a Jimmy Butler who is as effective as anybody in the league in terms of drawing contact, getting easy twos, or getting to the free throw line. It's a perfect marriage there. So, um, so I think you start with Miles and you start with Victor Oladipo, and instead of what's this veteran I can bring in, unless somebody knocks your socks off. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. If if there's somebody out there and the team is like, oh, I'll give you this, this guy, for Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo, I'm not saying turn that down. That you know, you, something interesting and unexpected could happen if someone takes the bait on on a on a um, uh, on a Victor Oladipo who hasn't proven that he can get back to 100 percent and a Miles Turner. But even then, if a team with championship aspirations is saying. I'll take those two guys on, and they're willing to give up one of those stars. Well, the star that you're going to get is probably tainted himself. Mm. If you trade those two and it's for draft picks, well, Victor Oladipo and Miles will help that squad get to a level where we're talking about a pick, what, in the 20s? Right? Yeah. So it's a, so I, the, the, goal, the goal is to, and from my standpoint, my standpoint, if I, you know, um, if it were me, would be to trade those guys to a squad that can give you some give you some draft picks where those draft picks would be you know reasonable that you can package with your own draft picks perhaps to move even higher in a draft if you needed to um, so that's that's really the direction that I would uh, go with that so so basically the, the only teams that kind of make sense are someone like the New York Knicks who who believe that they, if they can get a star <laughs> in Oladipo because I mean really I don't think any other team that's you know tanking right now or rebuilding is going to want to trade for a one year rental in Victor Oladipo which kind of makes sense to me as like why a Brooklyn or a Milwaukee or I mean even Miami but I don't really know if they would trade for him at this point but you got to think like teams that are like maybe like missing that third star because even when Oladipo was himself in seventeen eighteen. I don't think you could say this Pacers team, as it's constructed now, was a championship-level team, even with Victor being that player he was two years ago. And now he's far removed from that, and we've yet to see what he yeah. can be. So that's my biggest conundrum is like, well, what kind of package are you going to get back for him? Number one, he's already got, you know, taken all the leverage away from the Pacers saying he wants out. And so now it's basically teams that are like, hey, we want that third star. We'd be, you know, we're calling the trade for him. So we threw out trade ideas yesterday on our podcast, and – one of the trade ideas centered around, you know, someone you're very close to, Karis LeVert in, in Brooklyn. Would the Nets be willing to, you know, trade Karis LeVert for a Victor Oladipo to pair with a Kyrie and a Kevin Durant, something like that? Does that make sense, or should they go in a different direction, like you mentioned, maybe like someone like the Knicks who believes they can rebuild with an Oladipo, but they've got plenty of draft capital after they've made some trades that have given them first-round picks from both Dallas and the Clippers? Uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. It would have to take a wow factor offer 
to lure um uh to uh, to entice the Brooklyn Nets to part ways with Karis LeVert. Okay. Uh Karis LeVert on the Nets, you know, they're looking at potentially being a third star. The only issue with Karis LeVert in terms of how he may mix and gel with the with the Brooklyn Nets next season with a healthy Kyrie and a healthy Kevin Durant is the fact that he is at his best when he is controlling the rock. He's not a great off the ball player. When he's playing uh, like a point guard and bringing the ball up and kind of dictating the flow, it's much easier for him to attack um, as opposed to being off the ball and watching the point guard do his thing. So, um, so Kyrie is most effective when he's handling the rock. Kevin Durant loves to handle the rock himself too. So you have three guys who at their best, and Kevin is a chameleon. He can do whatever he wants. He's one of the best in the game. But nevertheless, you have three guys who really are at their best when they're controlling the rock. So that's why people are saying, ah, what do you, what do, you do? Like, Karras is great, but maybe you bring him off the bench, and they, that way he can be, you know, control the flow with that, with that second unit. You have a dynamic guy who can be sixth man of the year with that second unit, and he doesn't have to necessarily share the ball with guys like Kyrie, and Kevin, unless it's a finish the game in the fourth quarter type of situation, that's Karras' role on the Nets. On another team, Karras is a star. And the Nets know that. So on the Brooklyn Nets, given how deep they are, Karras might be a guy who's coming off the bench. But if you trade him to Indiana, well, now he's rivaling Demonis Sabonis as, your, as the best player on the roster and the guy that you're going to give it to in the clutch moments to finish off a team. And he'd be that guy for a number of teams in the NBA. So from the, so from the net standpoint, it has to be a wow offer because they know the type of talent that Karis LeVert has. And frankly, the NBA knows after seeing what he did in the seeding games with, with basically guys that aren't necessarily household names playing alongside him. Mm-hmm. So, um, trading a Karis Levert, a peak Karis Levert, who in the bubble was playing out of his mind, to trade him for a Victor Oladipo, where it's, uh, what does Victor have? Like, what is, you know what I mean? Does he, right. does Victor, is, can Victor get to Victor? Can what, you know, what? The ceiling, you know, looks very different for both guys right now. So that that's why I would be um, skeptical of that of that particular move if mm-hmm. it's a um uh and then you know a miles turner even being you know thrown into it too i don't think it's sexy enough um for the for the uh for the brooklyn nets just speaking from their perspective anything can happen who knows but it would be a need to be a wow offer for the next to part ways with yeah. um karis yeah with karis LeBert. so to me again i think it's draft picks you get younger you get shooters you you kind of get a entertaining stuff you you, you adapt uh, adopt an entertaining brand of basketball um a creative brand of basketball that's centered around the direction that the league is going in with three-point shooting um you get you you develop your culture and you just and because you know, looking at the Eastern, I know things change from year to year, to year, but some of the, the windows for some of these teams that are out there is not necessarily outside of, you know, Boston, which has young talent, and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, people feel like they'll eventually figure it out. But, you know, the, 
the um, longevity for some of these teams. Who knows? Giannis could leave and go to the Western Conference in a year, or he could be traded during the season. Um, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets, you know, who knows if this marriage is going to be long-term between Kyrie and Kevin. We know about the injury issues with, you know, Kyrie Irving. We don't know how, necess- how necessarily how long this could potentially last. With the Toronto Raptors, they could get broken up this offseason. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Miami Heat, Tyler Hero looks like a guy who's, who's going to have longevity. Bam Adebayo is going to be a guy who has longevity. But some of the other pieces around him, Dragic will be, you know, on the move perhaps soon. How many years is he going to be there? And then Jimmy Butler, man, we've been talking about his mileage on his body for, for a long time. So, uh, so look, um, this is a perfect time for a, for a culture change. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one, one guy that we haven't talked about yet is, you know, T.J. Warren. And he still has a lot to prove. You know, um, he went on a tear in the bubble. And I want to see the continued work this offseason because when Miami devised the game plan to take him out the game, they took him out the game. Yeah. So no. <laughs> how do you – you got you to gotta look at tape and figure out, okay, how do I counter that? When they do this, I need to do this. When they do this, I need to be looking to pass in this particular situation. I didn't see this guy open. Oh, in this particular situation, I should have gone to the my, my, I should have gone to my left here. I should have done that. And then you spend hours and hours in the gym, and then we'll see the fruits of that labor next season. Some guys put in that work. Some guys don't. But it's too early to say I know what T.J. Warren is going to be long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think one thing that the Pacer fans cling to is how well they played this season without Oladipo. And, you know, how they were still competing with the top of the Eastern Conference. Now, of course, Brooklyn was without, you know, Kyrie and Durant. And that, you know, two-headed monster, that that could be a big problem and will be a big problem next year if everything goes right. So I I just think going forward, it's going to be hard to figure things out, uh, especially with Oladipo. And I I think, like, the only thing that I have a question about is, I know we talked about you got to trade him in the offseason, you know, before, before the season starts. That's probably the ideal situation, so you don't have to deal with that you know, elephant in the room all season long. But if Oladipo can prove before the trade deadline, hey, look, I'm, you know, back to, you know, at least a lot better than I was in the bubble, maybe he could get more value. You could get more value in return for him. But I I know from talking with Jay Michael, there was a lot of chemistry issues in the locker room with Oladipo causing some uncertainty. So. So it's it's there very were. it's frustrating to figure out. Yeah, no, yeah. In an ideal world, if this stuff wasn't public about him thinking it may be a good idea to move on, maybe you could figure some stuff out. But I'm a firm believer in terms of chemistry within a locker room. Mm-hmm. And I heard about those rumblings about things not being right in the locker room. So now you have an off season where it becomes public that Victor Oladipo thinks it may be time to move on. And then you're going to invite that energy in the locker room with the goal of, okay, if he can prove himself, then we'll ship him. Well, everybody's going to know that. Brogdon, who's committed to the franchise, is going to know that. Sabonis, who's committed to the franchise, is going to know that. The, everybody on that roster is going to know yeah, this this probably uh, isn't going to be long term. Mm-hmm. So, what does that do to, to do with the compete level of everybody, knowing that this situation is only temporary? Like that's that's not good locker room energy. That's not good locker room synergy. And I just wouldn't do it, even though it may benefit the franchise to showcase Victor being a hundred percent. Because I still think it stunts the growth of a lot of guys 
on that roster because everybody understands it's a temporary situation. And everybody's saying that, you know, look, they were, they played better without Victor Oladipo last season. As you, you mentioned, the, uh, um, the Nets, you know, there were stretches where the Nets played better without Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. But are the, are the Nets, are the Nets better without a 100% Kyrie Irving? No. Are the Pacers better without a 100% Victor Oladipo? No. Absolutely not. So it, it, it's, I understand it's like a convenient argument for people looking at, looking at the records. But with, without Victor Oladipo, you're still a team that gets beat potentially in the first round of the NBA playoffs. With Victor Oladipo, with him not being 100%, you were a team that was beaten in the first round of the NBA playoffs. We're not talking about mediocrity. We're not talking about, well, we were a better mediocre team, you know, without Victor Oladipo. We're talking about getting to the, we're talking about getting to the next level and what it takes to get to the next level. And to get to the next level, you need stars. Okay. So that's, that's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 there are so many things at play when it comes to, you know, competing without a guy. And it, chemistry and on-court chemistry is so important. So if you have guys that have been playing together for a long stretch, competing together for a long stretch, they're developing chemistry, understanding their roles and how they need to compete. T.J. Warren doesn't have to do so much deferring. He's the guy. Malcolm Brogdon has a different role. You play a number of games, 10, 15, 20 games, you're getting into a rhythm as a group. Victor Oladipo comes back. He's not 100%. You want to help him get into the rhythm. T.J. Warren gets the shot. If Victor Oladipo's not there, there's no hesitation. I'm going to be aggressive and do this. Victor Oladipo's there. I have to give him this look. You're Mm -hmm. deferring now. It messes up the chemistry and it messes up the roles. Minutes change. All these different things change. And he's not 100%. So guys who are competing and locked in and zoned in are now getting adjusted to a guy that they customarily would defer to. And the guy that they're deferring to is still not 100% and definitely not in rhythm. That definitely affects games. So I don't cater to the argument of, well, they were, they were better without him. Well, there are a lot of factors at play as to why you're better without him. A lot of factors at play. And still, at the end of the day, you're still a team that gets beaten the first round of the NBA playoffs as right. it stands right now. Right, right, right. And I think a lot of fans know that. They know that this team is a good but not great team. And we've talked about it a lot here on our podcast, how they have a lot of seven and a half out of 10 players, but not those nine and nine level, 10 level players that are going to, you know, take you over the hump. So I guess as, as we kind of transition here, before I let you go here, MG, I got to talk about the coaching vacancy. They let Nate McMillan go who, you know, I I was in agreement with you on your stance on it. You know, he didn't really deserve to be fired because of the seasons that he's had. He's had really good regular season success and he only had one year left. So it didn't make a whole lot of sense to just make a drastic move with Sabonis not playing in the in the playoffs and Oladipo being out right. last year. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why they didn't have great playoff success. But anyway, they move on from him, and, and now trying to find that right voice is going to be key. You mentioned Kenny Atkinson as a play, uh, play player developer, but his name's not even been mentioned in any of the reports with having any interviews with the Pacers. So I've been kind of intrigued by, by that. The name that keeps coming around a lot, it's not Mike D'Antoni. It's actually Chauncey Billups. And that kind of makes sense, and we've kind of uh, we've kind of decided here that that's the guy we kind of want to see here, just because of his relationships with players uh, being you know talked about with uh, Malcolm, Victor, and Miles. But surprisingly, two of those players are possibly on the move this offseason, so kind of interesting there. Yeah. But 
But, I mean, what kind of coach do you think the Pacers need? And is there a name out there besides Kenny that you think makes a lot of sense for this uh, franchise going forward? Well, I um, I mentioned before in interviews, my it's not that I have strong reservations about Chauncey. It's just that I would feel a lot better if I had an understanding of his offensive philosophy. And mm-hmm. so in Brooklyn, you know, Steve Nash coming in, you know, doesn't have the coaching, you know, background as far as being an assistant or anything along those lines. However, he spent a lot of time with the Golden State Warriors, four years, in fact. We know Steve Kerr's offensive philosophy. We know Steve, we know Steve Kerr's influences as far as coming from that Greg Popovich uh, tree. And so, um, hold on one second. Yeah, coming from that Greg Popovich tree, and so I, even though it will be somewhat, um, uh, he'll put his own stamp on the type of offense that he is going to run in Brooklyn. I feel like I have an idea of what we could see with the Steve Nash offense. Of course, he comes from the D'Antoni tree as well, D'Antoni tree as well, and all those type of influences with Chauncey Billups. You know, those, those offenses that I, that I remember Chauncey Billups being in, <laughs> slow. Yeah, You know, and if you haven't been on a bench, and I can't say, oh, he was an assistant with Greg Popovich for these years, or, oh, he was an assistant with such and such, or, oh, he spent time with this coach. You know, I can't say that. So I don't have a, um, I don't have a, uh, a really strong assessment of what a Chauncey Billups-led offense would look like. Tough, defensive-minded? Absolutely. But from an offensive standpoint, I really have no, I have no idea. And so yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a reservation. Just that I would feel a lot better in general, though, if I knew his influences. Um, one of the reasons that I speak up for Kenny Atkinson is because he is a terrific um, player development guy. Mm-hmm. I saw so many guys blossom and develop with Kenny Atkinson's hands-on approach. Uh, it's it's really ridiculous. He 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 revitalized. Um, D'Angelo Russell's career. Uh, he he played a big role in Karis LeVert taking his game to an entirely different different level. Um, uh, Brooke Lopez as a three-point shooter, that happened under Kenny Atkinson. Um, Brooke took it to an entirely different level, but that him taking his game inside out happened with Kenny Atkinson. Uh, Jared Allen's growth as a basketball player was under under Kenny Atkinson. Joe Harris going from a guy who was an afterthought to three-point champion, leading the league in three-point percentage, that all happened with Kenny Atkinson. So from a player development standpoint, Kenny is superb. Uh, Chris Quinn with the Miami Heat coming from that system, Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley, that kind of influence is another guy that I'm that I'm I'm keeping my eye on who may get a, a solid opportunity this this off season and um, uh, coming from that coaching tree and seeing that team in the NBA Finals you know right now I mean it's been impressive what they've been able to do and uh, I'm sure those influences are pot, you know certainly rub off uh, to where um, he's going to get an opportunity as a head coach and so young guy bright mind. Uh, he's going to get an opportunity for sure as a head coach in, the, in this league. So there are there are other folks out there, but somebody who's young, bright, aggressive, you know, um, a great communicator, which is extremely important in this league, someone who can relate 
makes an effort to relate to the guys um, because being a, a psychologist, <laughs> part-time psych- psychologist, is extremely important in terms of managing personalities and egos and things like that. But just having a clear-cut plan in terms of what you want to um, uh, execute offensively and what your philosophy is going to be is extremely, extremely important because we've had question marks about that for years with, with these Pacer teams. Yeah, and I think that you know the Pacers are going to take their time, obviously, with this coaching decision because they have both been rumored to talk with Dan Craig and Chris Quinn with Miami, and they're in the NBA Finals, and they're in the bubble, so they can't right. have that one-on-one interview. So I think that's why a lot of people are like, man, are they going to make a decision? But it's like you got to wait a little bit because – with COVID, with everything going around like it is, you have to wait to have those face-to-face interviews, and they're not going to be able to do that till later. So it's really interesting to see what happens. But are you surprised at all, though, that Kenny Atkinson's name has not been you know, linked with any of the other names for the Pacers coaching search? Um, I guess to a certain degree, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think to a certain degree, yes. I think there, you know, there are bigger fish who may be getting headlines. You know, on one hand, it's it's Dan Tony, and he was the whole talk for sure. And, you know, Tyron Lou with Philadelphia and his, him being a big name that's out there. Then Billy Donovan, oh, my God, that surprise, you know, and his name being available before going to Chicago. And then now Doc Rivers is the big fish in the sea. You know, some of these smaller names, are, we're just not seeing that many rumblings. Um, I'm sure Kenny wants to get, you know, get back into it and coach. He's uh, a hardworking guy who doesn't get much sleep, and um, uh, he he loves being on the floor, and he loves teaching and coaching. So I know he definitely wants to get out there, and and um, I, I hope he gets I hope he gets an opportunity wherever it may be. Yeah, I uh, I predicted he'll go to the to the Thunder, but uh, we'll see what happens there. Just kind of makes sense with their young point yeah. guard and, and Shea and what they do. But, their development, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I like that fit a lot for him. But all right, MG, well, I think that wraps everything up on the Pacers side. And real quick before I let you go, your thoughts on this Colts 2-1 and record. Uh, they, they beat up some pretty bad teams in the NFL, but they've looked pretty good in doing so. So what are your overall thoughts over these last three games? Yeah, other than the Jacksonville game, they've done exactly what they needed to do. Um, uh, they Jacksonville, they crapped the bed. They weren't ready, uh, didn't look sharp. One thing that you do understand, though, especially from an offensive standpoint, that over time that chemistry will develop. I don't think he's developed great chemistry even with T.Y. Hilton just yet. Um, and so all those things are going to come with time. So being, you know, inefficient, off the mark a little bit offensively in that first that first game, some of it was somewhat expected at the same time. They still should have won that football game. There are a lot of other things that went wrong, uh, like making Gardner, Gardner Minshew look like Joe Montana. But the following week, you know, they, they, they play so well against Minnesota that I believe Kirk Cousins got negative fantasy points. And so they did their job and went above and beyond in that particular <laughs> game and basically made the Vikings quit from my perspective in watching that game. Yeah. So that was impressive to see. And then the following and then the following week getting the job done, just another impressive performance doing what they needed to do against a team that I believe is the worst in the league. Yeah. So this this next offering though against Chicago will be a great, great test in terms of um uh where this team is at. And there'll be other tests moving forward. But Nick Foles really got that Bears offense in a groove against the Falcons, which was, you know, really impressive to see. Um, that defense with Chicago is legit. 
They're playing confident. They feel like they can come back from any deficit because they've done so twice already this season. And so that'll be more of a measuring stick. I think it's great people are talking about, hey, number one, this defensively in the league, this defensively, that defensively. I don't really get caught up in all of that because of who they've played so far. Um, there'll be there'll be better quarterbacks and better offenses coming down down the road, and then we can get a better assessment. But mm-hmm. as of right now, I say credit. You know, these last two weeks at least, you've done what you were supposed to do. Absolutely. Well, MG, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I know that you've got a busy schedule, and uh, whenever the Pacers do end up making trades, if they make them, which I assume they will, but you never know. Um, if they do make those trades, we'd love to have you back on and talk about those trades and those moves. Sounds good. Sounds good. Appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Grady. All right, everybody. That does it for another episode here of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. You can follow me on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA, and you can follow us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. And until next time, peace out, Pacer Nation. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.